You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. The pattern of the kingdom we covered last week. And by the way, if you missed it because of the snowstorm, then please, please do make sure you catch up. Um, Because again, everything's kind of building on one week to another. So just take the time if you haven't already, just so again, we're learning and growing together. So the pattern of the kingdom is established in Genesis 1 and 2. And we learned in Genesis 1 and 2, times were good. I mean, they were very good. In fact, God says it was very good. So good, in fact, there was simply no bad. In Genesis 1 and 2, there was no evil of any kind. There was no pain. There was no hurt. There was no disease. There was no discord. There was no disunity. There was, above all, there was no death. God's relationship with man was beautiful. There was an uninterrupted fellowship, listen, and friendship with God between the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve, representing humanity. I mean, simply put, the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2 was an ideal place. To, like, you're looking for a nice neighborhood to move into, okay? This was it. In fact, it was the perfect place to live. So then the question we ask is, like, well, then what went wrong? I mean, here we have perfection, ideal conditions, in the friendship and fellowship with God, What went wrong? Why is it that we live in a world now that just seems to be and is the opposite of what we discover in Genesis 1 and 2? Why is the world around us so broken? Why all the pain? I mean, I was subjected again this week all around me, as were you, to pain and sickness and hurt and death. All around us all the time, what's wrong with this world? Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much conflict? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much hatred? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much animosity? Why does everything seem to be so hard so often? No matter where you look, man, if you look close enough, it doesn't take long, it doesn't take much. Whether it's humanity or the animal kingdom or creation itself, this life really, when it comes down to it, is one perpetual struggle. Just struggle everywhere. Struggles in our bodies. Struggles in our hearts. Struggles across the world. Struggle in our governments. Struggle to get along. Struggle with creation. Struggle in the weather. Just struggle after struggle. Struggle in marriages. Struggle in families. Struggling at school. Struggling here. Struggling there. Struggle everywhere. In fact, I I took a look at the front page of the Globe and Mail this week. Online, and I just wanted to see what were the headlines for this one day of this past week. Here were the headlines I just came across. I'll kind of read them to you in the order that I found them. First of all, BC Speaker accuses two senior officials of improper conduct. Uh, Why the misbehavior? Australian novelist and political commentator disappears in China amid tensions with Canada. Why are people disappearing? Uh, LNG Canada CEO vows to press ahead with gas project facing protests. Why are we protesting? A natural gas crisis. Canadian producers are reeling with no recovery in sight. Why is there a sense of loss? Why markets are spooked again? How come the markets can't figure it out? Edmonton Oilers fire GM Peter Shirelli. No offense, 
all their fans. Maybe you're happy about that. Why are people getting fired? Soaring demand for $100 bill leaves officials perplexed as experts point to crime and tax evasion. Why all the crime? Why all the greed? Why all the people trying to avoid tax? Pride Toronto narrowly votes to keep uniformed police officers out of pride. Why all the pain? Why all the confusion? Why all the crazy stuff going on? Hundreds of brutal injuries in Zimbabwe cracked down. Why are we killing one another? That's one page of one paper of one day this week. So maybe that was a bad day. So I looked upon it just recently, just recently another day this week. Um, Canada's deficit, the big headline about that and how we're overspending all the time. Why would we do that? Venezuela disasters. What's going on down there? What's happening around here? A Kingston teen caught in a terrorist plot. Why is terrorism being planned to kill other people? A Hawaiian flight diverted because flight attendant dies on the flight. Why are people dying like that? Why are so many afraid? What's the matter? Perpetual struggle everywhere. But why? 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 One word. One word is the answer to this. And it's the word sin. Sin is the reason for the perpetual struggle. Sin is the cause of all the hurt. Sin is the reason for the disunity and the hatred and the disease and the pain and the suffering and death. The reason for this is sin because we are living in a Genesis 3 world. Sin has ruined everything. And that leads us into what we're calling, and the outline for us is the perished kingdom. It was going so great. I mean, everything's going so great in Genesis 1 and 2 by God's design. And then stupid, awful, wretched sin wrecks everything. we got to learn more. Turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 3, if you haven't already. Genesis chapter 3. Now remember, before Genesis chapter 3, and just as you're turning to Genesis 3, you should be able to find it pretty quickly. Here's where we were in terms of Von Roberts' book and the kind of the way it's being broken down into the definition of God's kingdom, Okay. So in Genesis 1 and 2, God's people were Adam and Eve. That was going great. God's place was the Garden of Eden. It was awesome. It was idyllic. And God's rule and blessing, it was sweet. God had his word. It was being followed. And his blessing that they were in perfect relationships. And Genesis 1 and 2, man, it was awesome. But it doesn't stay there. In fact, it gets awful. Let's learn why. Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5 to start. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any of the tree, eat of of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's stop there for a second. This takes us to our first point in our outline. We're going to call it this. Here is the temptation to sin. Here we find in the first five verses the temptation to sin, what would lead to the perished kingdom. Now notice the first three words of verse 1. Now the serpent. Now the serpent who of course is Satan. Let's be crystal clear, okay? Satan is real, and Satan hates 
God. Satan hates Jesus Christ and any and all who follow Jesus Christ. When you think of Satan biblically, don't think of Satan as some guy who's just having a bad day. Okay? When you think of Satan biblically, think of someone and one who is intrinsically and thoroughly evil and disgusting and filled with hate and lies. There's not one ounce of Satan that is good of any kind. Everything he says is a lie. Everything he does is filled with hate. Everything he desires is to see people end up where he's going to end up soon in the lake of fire. His whole purpose is destruction. His whole mission is antichrist. There's nothing, nothing redeemable and good about Satan, the devil, or Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. Satan hates God. Satan hates God's kingship. Satan hates any good that God has done and anything that God has created good. So therefore, Satan's plan from the very beginning, since he was cast down from heaven himself, Satan's plan is to ruin, is to ruin at any cost God's plan for his pinnacle creation. Again, human beings, not to mention the creation as well. So therefore, as we step back, as we understand right away, now the serpent the Bible tells us that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. Uh, John's gospel tells us that Satan seeks to, to uh, kill and destroy. Again, understand the mindset. And what the world around us wants to do is to say, it's a myth. He's not real. Theologians at times are trying to do that. And Satan could not want anything more than that. These characters and cartoons of a guy with a pitchfork. The Bible says Satan masquerades as light. He's like, yeah, yeah, paint me out in that picture as the pitchfork and the horns and whatnot. And make it that so obvious when you'll see me. Meanwhile, I'll be roaming in among you all as looking like an angel of light and seeking to destroy every person one at a time. It's a big deal. Think about it. Satan's greatest desire is to spite God by root. Ready? By ruining our relationship to the Lord. And just personalize that for a second. Satan's greatest desire is to spite God by ruining our relationship with the Lord. Now listen, we don't want to see Satan behind every door, but we do want to be, we do want to be aware and to recognize, again, his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. His ultimate plan is to steal as many people as he can away from Christ entirely. And then his ultimate plan is also to try to ruin every person who loves Jesus Christ to, to, to weaken their faith and to cause them to feel doubt and to see the apathy grow stronger and stronger. Their love for Christ dwindles. That's his plan right from the beginning. You're like, can I get some proof of this? Yes, verse 1. Now the certain serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let's stop there. We don't have time to go into everything, but we're trying to tackle this chapter, but there's some things we must stop on and we must unpack together. Notice a few things about Satan, even in this first verse, okay? Ready, number one on the screen for you? Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. Jesus said in John 8 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that. A murderer from the beginning. Jesus said there is no truth in him. No truth in him. He is a liar, Jesus says, ready, 
and the father of lies. How's that for a resume? Murderer, liar, father of lies, no truth whatsoever. Again, elsewhere the Bible calls Satan the evil one, the ruler of the world system, the prince of the power of the air, and the leader of demonic forces. Satan's entire mission in Genesis 3 is to deceive, to lie, and to murder. He says to Adam and Eve, he says to Eve, you shall not die. He says that as well, Lord, you shall not die because he wants to murder them. He says one thing, truth mixed with error or total error, and he says one intent, but the reality is his intentions go completely against that, what he says. You shall not die, but he wants them to believe that, so he will allow them to die. Wicked. Absolutely wicked. He's so crafty. He uses trickery. He, he, he involves deception on every level. Notice how subtle he is here in the garden. Crafty. He comes up probably speaking smoothly, sounding convincing. Think of how he's at work in our world with deception right now. Again, remember, Satan is the master impersonator. He's the master impersonator. He has, he has so cleverly over so many centuries, he has counterfeited religion in itself. Think of how many people across this world right now will be sitting in church this weekend believing they are saved by works. There are millions and millions of people that believe they will get into heaven because of what they do as opposed to what Christ has done for them on the cross by grace through faith. And they believe they will show up at the end at the pearly gates and they will begin entrance. And Jesus will say to them in Matthew 7, get away from me, I never knew you. And Satan just cackles and laughs and rejoices at the millions and millions and millions of people that have bought into a false, unbiblical religion that doesn't exist in God's word. And he has distorted and deceived them literally to the way and the path to hell itself. He's raised up false ministers. He has many, many false gospels. And he has many, many false believers all across. He's the master counterfeiter and the master deceiver he does this next satan breeds doubt he breeds doubt notice the first words of his mouth recorded in scripture in verse one the very first words recorded of satan is this did god really say did god really say man has that phrase gotten mileage has that phrase been so effective by the tools and hands of satan and his demons Notice the temptation here to distrust and doubt the word of God. Why, why, ready, ready? If you attack the word, you can get a crack in the foundation. If you get a crack in the foundation, man, the whole thing starts to fall apart. Notice the deception dripping off the lips of Satan. He suggests, ready? He suggests to Eve here that God wasn't being fully upfront with them. He's suggesting again that God somehow is not being totally honest. Notice that Satan here is coming off as being concerned for mankind. Do you see that? He's like, hey, I care about you, Adam and Eve. I care that your best interest is being served. But that what he's really doing is, again, he wants them to be murdered by sin and death. But he comes off and he says, hey, 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 you deserve better. God didn't tell you the whole story. He's trying to prevent, God's trying to prevent you from really kind of gaining your full measure in this world and the rights that you deserve. But really what he's doing is I want you to die and I'll laugh over your dying corpse and your soul that's separated from God forever. That's how wicked he is. That's exactly what he's doing right here. 
Notice he blends truth with lies. Again, the master of creating confusion. He says, any tree, but God said, no, just the tree of good and evil. And loved ones, just be aware again of the confusion, the chaos all around us in our day today, leading to more doubt and more distraction and listen, ultimately more destruction. Okay, okay why do I right, right from the beginning of the parish king? Did God really say it? Did God really say it? Right, why, why? When Satan attacks God's word, then if he can still doubt in the word of God, then he has attacked the authority of God. You've got to watch this so carefully. This is all over our society, all over. This is the, this is the key issue right now. When he starts to cause the church to doubt the word, then the authority of God starts to be diminished. The moment the authority of God stops, starts to be diminished in the book, something else has to replace God's authority. There always has to be an authority. We have to have an authority. We become the authority. The culture becomes the authority. God forbid the politicians become the authority in terms of this or whatever around us. Something has to replace God's authority. That's what Satan wants. That's what he wants. He's like, did God really, are you sure about that? Maybe you should check again. I don't think that's what he meant to say. And be like, oh yeah, you're right, you're right. And the doubt starts to seep in. And all of a sudden, this is no longer sufficient. This is not, I'm telling you, if this isn't authoritative, something else will always take its place. That is the battle of our day right now. And the moment you stop listening to God's authority, you have just bought in on some form to an impossible, perfect leadership and a sin-riddled authority and ultimately a direction that will lead you away from God because it's contrary to his word. Stop and think for a second of how we're being influenced right now in our lives. This is big stuff. And it's real. And Satan knows what he's doing. That's why we have to know what we're doing. This is why we're on this church-wide reading plan right now. We have to be men and women and children of the word. Why? Not for information, so we know the transformation in Christ and we can discern between good and evil. That we know at the end of the day, man, we know what's true. We know what God has said. And we know too many, too many believers don't have a grasp on God's word. So they read a book, they see a movie, they have some article given to them, and they don't know enough to discern. Wait, that's not in scripture. And they get carried off with every wind and wave of doctrine to their own demise and sometimes to their own destruction. That's how big a deal this is right here. Notice what Satan's trying to do. There's, he's the deceiver. He breeds doubt. And then look at this next. Satan's goal is, is, is denial. His goal is denial. Look at verse 4 now. Verse 4. Satan says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You will not sh-. Now notice how Satan blatantly now calls God a liar. Because God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And Satan's like, no, 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 God's wrong. God's a liar. Oh, really, Satan? You're calling God a liar now? He just did. He just did. He says, no, 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 you won't surely die. He once again blends truth with error. You say, how does he do that? Well, notice, he says, he says, because your eyes will be opened. That's true. The eyes of Adam and Eve will be opened, and they will know the knowledge of good and evil. But then notice... It's not because then they will be like God. Their eyes will be opened and they will then die. You see? So there's some truth, but then what he leaves out is, he says, oh, you'll become like God. No, no, no. You will then die, which is exactly what he wants. Think of how that applies to our world today. Right there, the appealing to the evil of the heart of man. 
What's the evil of the heart of man? The heart of man in, in all its evil is glory to man in the highest, one commentator said. Glory to man in the highest. That's our world, man. Self-glory, praise of man, elevation, down with God. It's that like we know we're smarter. There is none of that thing over there. The Bible, the God, whatever, Jesus, all that stuff. Praise, praise the man. And this is what, this is, this is the lie Satan's selling right from the very beginning. No, 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 you'll be like God. You don't need to listen to him. Because you'll be like him, and then you can do whatever you want. It's the lie that leads to death. Loved ones, big picture. God set up his kingdom. Okay, God set up his kingdom. Satan hates God and his kingdom. Satan rebelled against God. Satan is now subject to the lake of fire. He is now trying to take as many people with him as possible. Question, question right now. I mean, in all seriousness, what lies are you and I being tempted to believe right now? That's not leading us to God, leading us away from God. I want you to see the pattern of what's happening all through here from the parish kingdom. I want you to see these four Ds here. I want you to notice that where there's deception and we get deceived, that starts to create doubt in our lives. When we start having doubt fill our lives, then all of a sudden we're tempted to deny. When we have denial of what God has said, we deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. We deny again the ways of the Lord and the will of God. That will always lead to destruction. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Okay, Bible is one book. Let me just show you um, Ephesians chapter 2 here, right? Just to, just to paint the story so like, none of us are deceived. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Genesis 3, following the course of this word, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan. This is every single one of us before Christ. And anyone here right now who's not in Christ, this is describing your life right now. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at that among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. I mean, just, the Bible's incredible how this is so accurately describing, again, who we are in our society. Carrying out the desires of the body and the desires of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. Now, you start hanging out with the prince of the power of the air, and you become a son of disobedience, and you're subject to the wrath, which he never wants you to know. Here's what the end's gonna look like in the book of Revelation, next verse. I want you to see that, Revelation 20. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the destination for everyone who follows Satan. He doesn't want you to see that, doesn't want you to know that. This is just the reality of what Scripture says. All those who reject Jesus Christ and follow Satan, that is the end goal. That is the end game, the lake of fire and sulfur, the master deceiver carrying millions with him all the way to death. By the way, um, this is why I really, even as I preach these things right now, man, just, this is why this series is so important. Like, this is the last thing Satan wants. Like, it's getting real, you know what I'm saying? And that's why, honestly, for me, since this series began, I, I had a week last week, I'll just, it, I, I don't even understand what in the world is going on. Like, I don't have categories to try to really understand spiritually the things that I'm feeling or watching or whatever's going on. I, all I know, I just feel to pray. Like, it's, it's messed up, man. And there's a large part, you're trying to make sense of it. Sometimes that's just futile. All I, all I know, though, is that 
when this stuff starts to be understood and the truth starts to be proclaimed and the light starts to shine, I'm, I'm just telling you, people get set free. And Satan's trying to do everything he can to prevent that from happening in this place and beyond this place and whatever. But we're praying in Jesus' name that the sovereignty of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, that he will choose to shine that light and awaken people and save them from sin, death, and Satan himself. Amen, church? That's the prayer and that's the goal. And that's why this is a big deal. And if you haven't started praying about this series yet, then can you please do that now? Can you start praying today? Can you please join with me and the leaders of our church and the elders who are seeking to see the Lord do what only he can do? We can't do it. It's just, it's impossible without him. God help us. The temptation to sin. Number two, now we see this, the act of sin. The act of sin. Look at verses six and seven. So when the woman, watch, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, I want you to see three words. Underline, circle, three words in verse 6. I want you to see, ready? Saw, delight, and desired. Saw, delight, desired. Watch the act and the process of sin. I want you to see this on the screen as well, okay? Because I want, again, a little bit of insight into what's happening in God's word. Now watch this. When Eve sins and Adam with her for the first time, there was the lust of the flesh. She saw that the tree was good for food. Her eyes, again, her set on that, and the lust of her flesh wanted that. The lust of the eyes, and that it was a delight I see what I want, but I should not have. I delight in the idea of gaining something that I know is wrong, but I think it's going to make me feel good. And then ultimately, the pride of life, the tree was to be desired to make, that will make me better. That will make my life. That will make me elevated. I will become more significant, okay? There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You say, Robbie, why are you using these phrases? Next slide, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, okay? It's right again, such a strong parallel as the Bible as one book as well. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How's that for a sermon? Listen, for all that is in the world, ready, here we go, here we go. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, right from the very beginning, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And who's the ruler of this world temporarily? It's the serpent, it's Satan, it's the prince of the power of the air. You know, I love the insight from Ron Roberts' book here in chapter 2, and I hope you're reading that. I really hope you're tracking along, and we've sold so many hundreds of copies. I'm so thankful for that. Listen, he says this. He says, this is very insightful. The great sin here in Genesis 3 was not simply knowing what was right and wrong. Okay, ready, ready? But rather, the great sin was deciding what was right and wrong. You hear the difference there? The great sin wasn't understanding what was right. The, the sin is that Adam and Eve, they decide for themselves what is right and wrong. And as they do that, they just replace God with themselves. That is the fundamental evil of the human heart. We reject God's rule 
in order to become God ourselves. So all through our society, you have Tower of Babels built all over the place. Tower of Babels being constructed everywhere, people claiming to be God, governments claiming to be God, movements claiming to be God. And fundamentally, you have wave after wave of ultimate human arrogance declaring, we know better than God. That's exactly what's being said. We are smarter than God. We are more powerful than God. We understand what the truth is, not God. We reject God. We reject anything to do with his son. I'm just telling you, man, I'm telling you, right? Galatians 4, verse 7, uh, do not be deceived. Uh, God is not mocked. I love to think, 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 think. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what you, what you sow, you will reap. If you sow from the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow from the spirit, you will reap life. See, see, this is why it's Romans chapter one. I'm gonna read it for you here. In Romans chapter one, if man and in his sinfulness, God says, God, God gave them up then. You wanna keep going that way? You wanna keep hardening your heart? You wanna see what, I'll just read you what God's word says about this. God says in Romans chapter one, verse 28, and since they, the system of the world, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's not my word. That's God's word. They give approval to those, though they know that those who do such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who also practice them. A few days ago in the New York legislature, you had the whole room standing up for a standing ovation, applauding the new abortion laws that have come into effect where a woman may kill her baby up into the due date, the first six months, no questions asked. You wanted a girl, you got a boy, kill him. Doesn't matter. And up to the very, very due date, you have every right now to kill the human being inside of you to the point where someone, if they used to murder someone who was pregnant, it was two counts of murder. Now they change it. It's only one count, totally devaluing the human life up until the due date in the mother's womb. And they stand to clap in applause of the murder of millions and millions and millions, fulfilling what God just said in his word. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You and I can fit in for a couple of years here on earth and spend an eternity in regret. An eternity in regret. We want to be liked by a few people for a couple of days and fit in with culture and spend the rest of eternity regretting the moment we wanted to be accepted and then rejected from the Lord himself. That's what's at stake. The temptation to sin, the, the act of sin, 
And then thirdly, the, the consequences of sin. Look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, ready? So sin has entered the world for the first time now. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. No, don't do that. Don't do that among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man and said, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you all of a sudden you were void of something? Who told you for the first time ever that there's loss felt in your life? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Here we see the first realities of the parish kingdom and it's absolutely tragic. Notice the immediate application. Notice shame is felt for the first time in history. Shame is felt. They knew they were naked. Notice instantly, loved ones, instantly the covering begins. Instantly the security ramps up, ramps up, never before felt. Instantly the mask wearing, the pretending. Instantly the, 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 the comparing and the competing, the shame. Notice fear and guilt plague the conscience for the first time. It says they hid themselves from the presence of God. That's what sin does. You often watch people in church. And, and sin starts to enter their lives on some level, and all of a sudden they start drifting away. They start strategically getting themselves out of positions like a gather time like this to feel the conviction and, and, and to sense the presence of God. And they try to distance themselves because they don't want to sense the conviction and presence of God. And that's what sin does. It causes us to run from the Lord, the only person who can actually save us. Notice the sense of loss is known for the first time. Who told you you were naked? All of a sudden, contentment and fulfillment and peace, it just vanishes. All of a sudden, and awareness again, I am at loss now. Sin is so awful. Sin, I, I'm missing something. That's a quick look at the micro-devastation and consequences of sin. Uh, I want to turn, most importantly, to the macro understanding of the consequences of sin. And we see now is the destruction of sin and the destruction of relationships. If you have read through Von Roberts' book, I want to just kind of adapt how he kind of broke it down into our own words here into three main categories of broken relationship. Again, on the screen for you, I want you to see this first. Notice the consequences, broken human relationships. Broken human relationships. The harmony between Adam and Eve it is instantly damaged. Instantly damaged now. Uh, Adam and Eve perceived nakedness. Uh, insecurity is now perceived. And notice, and notice right away the blame game begins. Right away sin, all of a sudden. It's just, it's just a, a, a race to see who can blame the most and blame the fastest. Again, if you notice in verses 11 to 13, notice that Adam first blames God. He's like, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And Adam says, the woman you gave me. Isn't that, isn't that the height of, of human arrogance? God, it's your fault. You're the one who created Eve. But Adam, what happened in the last chapter, man? You were so fired up, and all of a sudden, now you're blaming God for sending you her because she's the one who got you to sin. 
Then Adam blames Eve. She gave me the fruit of the tree. God got the one you gave me. And then she gave me the fruit to eat. To that we say, Adam, you coward. But aren't we all? Then Eve then, Eve's question, Eve blames Satan. The serpent deceived me. It's a classic here. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. What do we see here? Love ones from the very beginning. We see this. We see the victim mentality all over the place here. I hate sin. I hate sin. All that's happening right here, this here ruins marriages and lives more than we would ever want to admit. The blame game. You know, recently I was in our home and I was upstairs and, and I heard some conflict happening. I walked into one room. I said, what's going on here and what's the problem? And I heard, they did it. And so I took that information, went over to the other room and I said, I said okay, what's happening here? What's going on? And I hear the same thing. They did it. So then I walk out of the room and I say, exasperated, this is such a Genesis 3 home. And listen, because it is, and because we are, we are, the blaming and the accusing, how devastating that can be again. We need the Lord and his word and his Holy Spirit so much. Help us, Lord. I just want to, love us, even while we're here, I just, right now, where in your life can you stop playing the victim? I am not discounting your hurt. I'm not discounting for one second a situation of, of legitimacy. I'm just, I'm just saying, though, the more that we blame, the more we lose. Where in your life and my life can we stop playing victim and give our losses to the Lord and trust him with our future? At the end of the day, when we seek to blame, what is it that we're actually trying to do? We just don't want to take responsibility for the part that's ours. And because we're so insecure and because we're so proud, we just can't get to the point. It's just pride. It's sin. That we continue to deflect responsibility to other people that they might handle it. And in the meantime, we continue to rot ourselves out from the inside out. Wouldn't it be so powerful and almost a miracle for some of us to be able to just surrender that victim mentality to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to lose in this situation. I feel like I'm going to lose, but I trust in you that in the end, I will win. Because as I die to self, then that's where I start to live. Can you imagine if that was applied to every marriage in this room right now? Can you imagine that was applied to the different situations of conflict at work or in our families or friendships or whatever it might be in forms? Of, can you imagine if we stopped playing the victim and started to trust the Lord with our lives in that way? But there's more damage to human relationships. I want you to see Genesis 3.16. This is part of the curse here. To the woman, he said this. Genesis, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and, and he shall rule over you. Here's the damage to human relationships. Here we see the battle for the sexes begins. Right away, right away. See that? It's a result of the curse. Notice the wife and her pride. God, God says you will, you will seek to usurp your husband. You will seek to ruin and get in the way of the God-given authority men to, to be received in love and beauty 
and such blessing. And the husband, the husband, you will seek to be harsh with your wife. You will seek to treat her with, 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 with unkindness and be unfair and cruel at times and, 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 use, and use strength at times to overcome in such an awful way. Now consider the impact of Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible as one book. As we are new creations in Jesus Christ and we have redeemed roles and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And imagine the wife that is loved, loved by a husband that, that loves her like Christ loved the church. And the woman then who could submit to her husband and the loving care and the beauty and the trust. Imagine two people joining together, man and woman, husband and wife in that Ephesians 5 setting by fill the Holy Spirit and the power and the blessing and the joy that can be found as you follow the ways of Lord, follow the ways of God, and don't listen to the ways of the world. Imagine if we did that. I mean, that's what's at stake here. We're being explained, all of humanity, in just a few verses. And the power of trusting God. And just, just listen, listen. I know how backwards this is in our world right now. Trust me, I live in the same world you do. I know how crazy this sounds in certain circles. But does that diminish the truth of what God is saying to us in any degree? Does, does that diminish the blessing? Does that diminish the power? Does that diminish the wisdom? Does that diminish the joy that will be felt even more so as we swim upstream, as we go against the grain, as we trust that God is smarter than we are and his plans are always right and always best? Broken human relationships Next, broken creation relationship. I want you to look at verse 17. I'll go through this quickly. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you, verse 17, you shall not eat of it. Cursed, listen, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Remember, um, work was instituted in the Garden of Eden in the pattern of the kingdom in Genesis 2. And work was beautiful. Work was good. Work was a delight. But now because of sin, work is cursed. The earth is cursed. And listen, work becomes difficult and painful and experiencing from the sweat of our brow. And of course, the height of the curse is found in verse 18. Uh, weeds. Thorns and thistles. There's nothing worse in creation than the curse of sin than weeds. Amen, church? Oh, wait, that's how I feel about it, all right? But it's true, look at, look at, look at here, just, just all of a sudden, it was never meant to be this way, never meant to be this way. And here we see the curse of sin upon the earth. You know, if you look at the aspect of work, whatever, the whole TGIF, just, just like the whole long, just get worked on, get to the weekend, just party again, that whole thing, and that, that's not the pattern of the kingdom. Work was a blessing. Work was to be a joy. Work was part of our calling and mission as, as, as creatures and creations of God. So many people are living for the weekends, living for the weekends, and then death, and then there's no more weekends. And then look, broken relationship with God. So broken relationship, humans, creation, broken relationship with God. If that wasn't bad enough, now the final blow of the consequences of sin. Look at verse 22 now. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. 
lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Ready? Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Bottom line here, the relationship with God has been destroyed. Sin has ruined man's relationship with God. Life is gone and now death has entered in. Adam and Eve are now banished from God's presence and sin's greatest curse has now been felt. And because of Adam's sin, we know the Bible says all all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you remember where we were in the Garden of Eden and how things were perfect and so good. Here's where we are now, updated in Robert's book, Since the Perished Kingdom, okay? God's people, was Adam and Eve now God's people? No one. At this point, no one. God's place, was the Garden of Eden idyllic, awesome? Now, everyone's been banished. Banished from God's place, his presence. God's rule and blessing, it was perfect. Now, there's just disobedience and the curse. That's where we are right now as we approach the end of Genesis chapter 3. The kingdom has perished. So this just didn't love one. Sin stinks. Sin's awful. Sin ruins everything. Sin has resulted in spiritual death, separation for God. So that's where we end today. Sin stinks. At Christ's death, it's, it's over, okay? That's where we end. Good luck. Good luck. Hope it goes well. No, we can't end there. We have one more quick point, one more massively important point. Number four is this, the hope within sin. The hope within sin. You like that word hope? I love that word hope. We should name our church after it. Oh, wait, we are. We are. Did you know that? You missed last week. We're changing our church name for real. We are. We are. On our website, explanations, family chat from last weekend. We're soon to be called, a couple months, Hope Bible Church. The hope of Jesus Christ. There is no greater need in this world today than the hope. The hope of light and love. The hope of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look back at Genesis 3, verse 15. I Just take a second. The Proto-Evangelion, we learned about this a couple of weeks ago. Here's the hope within all the disasters. There's always grace, lovers. There's always grace. Jesus, the word that is said here pointing to Jesus, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Talking about the conflict that will exist between, again, when God raises up his offspring and the, and the forces of evil, and he, Jesus Christ, shall bruise your head, Jesus will defeat Satan on the cross. This is the first indication of the gospel in the Bible. And you shall bruise his heel, indicating that Satan, again, will cause Jesus Christ to die on the cross. But notice, there's a bruising of a heel contrasted with a crushing of the head. In the end, Jesus dies on the cross. But the very thing that Satan wanted to use to kill Jesus, Jesus turns it around and destroys death and destroys the hold of Satan forever with the cross of Jesus Christ as he dies for your sins and for mine. That is the hope within the sin, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it has been said, if Genesis 3 wasn't in the Bible, there would not be a Bible. Why? Because the entire rest of the scripture is an unpacking and an unfolding of God's rescue plan to redeem and to reverse and to restore mankind from the impact of sin found in Genesis 3. You see, so the whole Bible then comes down to God working out his love to see those who will believe in his son and be saved from death and saved from sin. Romans 5 verse 8. 
But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, sinners, rightly so, Christ died for us. That God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, the living water, the bread of life, the great I am, the good shepherd, the door to heaven, the way, the truth, and the life, the Alpha and the Omega. Christ died for us. I'm telling you, man, if you've sinned through this sermon, I know it's heavy, trust me, I know it's heavy, I don't care. Like, this is truth, and this needs to be heard. And people need to be woken up, and people need to understand the gravity of what's happening around us. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you right now, you feel the heaviness, but then see, if you don't know the bad news, you can't understand the good news. Here's the good news we're going to sing in just a moment right here. We're going to sing this beautiful hymn in as well. And then notice how much it relates to this. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, and he will and it will. Let this blessed assurance control that in Jesus Christ, that I'm saved by grace through faith. Though you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God made us alive. God made us alive through his son, Jesus Christ. In my helpless estate, he, he, he shed his own blood. For my soul, when I believe in him and I trust in him, I'm made alive because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the next verse, and then you can sing this, my sin, oh, the bliss. My sin, oh, the supreme joy, the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, not halfway, not almost, but in whole and in full. That Jesus Christ took every single sin of mine, past, present, and future, and nailed it with him to the cross. And I bear no more guilt and no more condemnation. And I don't have to fear death. And I know I'm granted life. And I have the hope of Jesus Christ living within me. Then the only result is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That was a good spot for an amen. This is the gospel. That is the plan of God. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Oh, may we praise him. Oh, may we pray. Even now, let's pray. Father, I pray we feel weight, but I pray we feel the weight of glory too. The glory of your plan of salvation, the glory of the gospel. God, I pray you are shining light into dark minds. I pray you are blowing up lies. I pray you are shattering the false truths. I pray, God, you are granting clarity and wonderful conviction and love and compassion for this world who sees you not. And I pray you will grant us worship. I pray you will grant us thanksgiving. God, wake us up. Wake us up in the light of the gospel. I pray you will grant us right now to respond. How can we not respond with passion or emotion or joy or gratitude in all that we've heard? Help us to do that now, Lord. In Jesus' name.